I'm Melissa. I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast that helps you understand the chemistry of your everyday life. Bonus, Bonus edition. edition. That was nice. We were perfectly in sync. Mm-hmm. We didn't even try. Yeah, we didn't. I mean, I did try a little bit. I did kind of wait because I thought it'd be more fun. Oh, you did try? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't try. I was just trying to catch you. <laughs> it only takes one of us to try. Um, Not like the song It Takes Two. Right. Unlike right. that. Yeah, it just takes one. It just takes one. Okay, so if you haven't been to one of our bonus episodes before, if you haven't listened to or watched one of them before, in these episodes, we just take a bunch of questions from our awesome community of listeners, and we um, try to answer them, but sometimes we just respond to them because we don't have all the answers. Yeah, 100%. And Melissa's usual MO with this because this is like a bonus episode. He doesn't have time to just do a bunch of research about every single question that's asked. So it's chemistry off the cuff, what she thinks off the cuff without mm-hmm. doing a ton of research, or it's like this question needs research to answer it and it will become a full blown episode. And so it's kind of has to fit into one of those categories, basically. There was one that I did very brief Googling to make sure it was correct. Right. But for the most part, that doesn't happen. Yeah. All right. So, and we also try to prioritize questions from our community of patrons, our chem community mm-hmm. of patrons so that we can, uh, you know, hear their voices and see what they want to learn about as well. And sometimes we get questions from all corners of the internet. You know, it's like something through the website, something through Instagram, something through Facebook, something through Twitter or whatever. So if you have a lot of chemistry questions and you want to make sure we see them, hear them, they get on the podcast, uh, go to patreon.com slash chem for your life. Hop on in there, join our community of patrons. You can ask the questions you want and we will definitely see them. Definitely. Sometimes a week late or whatever, but we do see them. Yeah, we'll get it. Okay. You ready for the first question? Yes. This is from one of our faves, Avishai. Always has great questions. He's a patron. Yes. And he is also a biologist, I think. Sounds right. Some kind of scientist for sure. Yeah. Biology is the, the one with all the rocks, right? I'm <laughs> Uh, here's what I said. I love baking. One of my most baked pies is lemon meringue pie. Sounds super good. To burn the meringue, I burn it in the oven at 250 degrees Celsius to 260 degrees Celsius for two to four minutes. In many cases, my meringue shrinks afterward, which is quite annoying. So I started to think, what is meringue and why would it shrink? Is it a polymer? But if so, why would it shrink still? I know some polymers shrink when heated like collagen. I also found papers on Google Scholar when I searched why meringue or meringue shrinks. Why does the meringue shrink? Here's the question part now, I guess. Shrink when moved from high to low temperature. I'll look into it more when I have time and maybe update you guys on my findings. Okay, didn't do any research on this, but my initial thought when I heard shrinks when moves from high to low temperature is car tires. Mm -hmm. So if you've ever gotten a flat tire in the winter, you know that when, and we did a whole episode on this, that when things get colder, the energy moves around, the energy in the molecules move around less. Uh, There's less energy in molecules, so they're able to move less. So a lot of times they will physically take up less space. So a good way to visualize this is if you take a balloon and put it in the fridge or freezer, it'll get kind of like you know, wrinkly and small. And then when you take Mm -hmm. it back up and it heats back up, it'll come back to its normal size. 
So I wonder if that same thing is happening here with the meringue is if when it's in the oven, the air that's in, that's whipped into the meringue, although I don't know a ton about the chemistry of meringue, but I know that there's air in it. If when, then you take it out of the oven, the cooling effect causes those, the molecules to move around less. And so it just like the air is literally taking up less space and that's why it shrinks. Mm. But I don't have a good solution to how you would keep that from happening. Right. Unless maybe you just need a firmer structure in the meringue to keep it from shrinking. Yeah. Because I don't think meringue always shrinks, which makes me think that they're, the polymer doesn't inherently shrink like some do. Right. So I think it's something in either it's the structure's not set enough or I think it's just getting deflated because the air is cooling down. That's my guess. Interesting. What if it doesn't actually shrink, but it just looks like it shrinks, like a meringue mirage of sorts? Were you thinking about that dumb joke this the whole time? Not the whole time, <laughs> just like halfway through. Uh, you know, <laughs> Can I you don't know that? what to say to that. Well, that was the real answer. Like you really can do it. It's like, actually, yeah, it's weird. Let's think about the waves and the energy <laughs> and the the. It, the photons and like it just looks smaller but it's not no <laughs> i don't approve of this response <laughs> okay all right sorry that we was... did do an episode on mirages once too though also yes so. it, was, it was super interesting and this is still an interesting question avishai i just have zero to contribute so that's why this <laughs> that's why the joke comes to mind because i have no <sighs> hypotheses whatsoever but had a real one though that's what i would that's what i'd bring to the table uh this next one's from christina g um, this is a addendum. She says, hi all. I wanted to add to the R shoes chemistry discussion. That was a couple episodes ago, a couple uh, Q and R's ago. There are lots of running shoes in the market now with carbon plates in their soles that allegedly give runners an extra speed boost by reducing the amount of work the runner's feet and ankles have to do. Yay physics. <laughs> like yay chemistry, but <laughs> yeah. yay physics. Yeah, physics yeah. <laughs> Most elite marathoners use these shoes and swear by them. My question would be, can you think of another type of material similar to a carbon plate that could return more energy and make runners run even faster? Listen, first of all, we don't yay physics here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I will say I'm not great at physics. And so my first question is, how do the carbon plates actually do that? So I feel like I can't even answer the second question until I really understand if if and how the carbon plates are actually working. I, I've watched a video about this. And, you have? Uh, about the carbon plates because they're, they're kind of controversial and there was a specific shoe, the, one of the earliest ones that had this, was like disqualified from certain things because it was the question of, was this an unfair Is this advantage? legal? Like, yes. Yeah. But basically, I mean, I don't understand the physics great, but the lay person's way this was put in the video I watched was simply that like it has the ability to flex when you're stepping but it has a really good spring back. So it wants to get back to its. Oh, so it's like shape. aiding you in it's, your. Yes. It's aiding you in your, like the, the pep in your step, the spring, the, I don't know what else you'd call it. And so people have, have been able to measure an effect. Uh, one runner wears one type of shoes, wears these other shoes and there is a measurable benefit. Whoa. Um, I don't know if it's every runner. I don't know if it's just like, like I'm wondering, for instance, if you're doing like she's referencing marathon runners, mm -hmm. the thing I watched didn't talk about them. It talked about short distances. 
Um, okay. I'm wondering if maybe some of the benefits start to like get muddier the longer your distance is or if it gets better. Better. Yeah. I was wondering if like long term you're conserving energy and so you're able to go longer distances yeah. or something. Yeah. Fascinating. But does that kind of make sense? Like and just to, without having the details in front of us, they're like if it's springier and like what's the like bounce back to its main yeah, shape. Yeah, I think it would help. makes sense that it's helping your foot actually do the moving. Yeah. So that's yeah. why it's literally when she says less work, I'm guessing she means like literally less energy. You yeah. know, it's like you're not literally working, you're not using energy or putting energy in yeah. as much. But I think the conversation is created around these shoes and I'd love to see a more updated thing now because I think there's a lot more models of shoes with this in them, some version of it. The question is like sort of when is it cheating? I mean, like we're already using a lot of these synthetic materials in our shoes for a bunch of reasons. Why is it like, aren't I faster when I wear shoes than when I'm barefoot anyway? So it's already giving me an advantage. Yeah. Interesting. Running outside or running on a track or whatever. To, to use it. So what is it about specifically this sort of shank, um, carbon shank kind of thing? That's what you call it in, in like dress shoes and boots. What is it about that that is a bridge too far for us, I guess? I don't know. Sorry, I'm yawning. I woke up at 6 a.m. this morning and was like, after staying up kind of late last night and was suddenly thinking of all the stuff I had to do for work. And so I got up really early uh-huh. and now I feel like I haven't noticed this all day, but all of a sudden I'm yawning like every few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm self-conscious about it. So, well, the answer that I have is like, I have no idea. I'm, I guess I'm not a materials chemist, so I don't have just like a whole like network of, or like what are those Rolodex, uh-huh. you know, of materials in my brain. When you made that sound, it's immediately the word. I <laughs> but I could think of like how it could be a polymer could very easily be adapted. And I'm guessing the carbon plate is if it's a carbon plate, if it's only carbon, then it's arrangement of carbon molecules, maybe in like a certain formation that if you found a different way to arrange them, it could be more effective, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I don't have anything good, but this was a really great conversation starter. Yeah, that is. And Christina's on our Patreon. So thanks, Christina. Yes. Thanks, Christina. I need to go see, figure out what I watched and remind myself about it and see if it's some sort of update too. And maybe you could post it on our Patreon to, yeah. to respond to her. Yeah, that's a great idea. Who knows? The the <laughs> kinds of things, like it might have just been recommended to me from some channel on YouTube. We were talking about this earlier, like the algorithms. And then it's hard to find the thing you watch. Like, I watched this, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, YouTube just thought I'd like it, and I did, I guess. So. And I have three TikToks, two Instagrams, and three YouTube channels. And so I never know yeah. what what platform and which of my, like, accounts I was under when I was watching things. So, and my, I already have ADHD. So my brain is disorganized as it is and I'm not doing it any favors. Yeah. The, and the, just the, our world and the internet and all that stuff is not doing you any favors. You have this many accounts and there's no around it. Sorry. No way to find most of them are good to teach people things. So there's that at least. Okay. This is, oh, this looks interesting. <laughs> yeah, I love this question. I saw it on Instagram. Chelsea, one of our patrons, sent this through Instagram. Um, use chemistry to explain how element bending works, like element bending in Avatar The Last Airbender. Okay, I've been thinking about this all afternoon. Nice. <laughs> Ever since I saw the question. I think this is the funniest and maybe one of the hardest questions. <laughs> so here's what I, I started with water because that one to me is like 
the way that the chemistry must work on that is you must be able to control the hydrogen bonds between the water because mm. she can like move it, but also freeze it sometimes. Right. Right. Yep. So I think she's controlling the intermolecular forces. Mm. She is Katara, the main character. Right. That. That's a waterbender. So that was my thought is being able to bend water means you can control hydrogen bonding intermolecular forces. Yeah. And then there's an airbender. And I think what they're actually doing is being able to create pockets of lower and higher pressure, you know, like they must be able to move the molecules out of the way. I mean, all of it is moving molecules, but they must specifically be able to move molecules to make wind, right? We have a mm -hmm. whole episode about wind and actually we have episodes about snowflakes and wind and yeah. what fire is mm -hmm. and nothing about the earth. That's the one yeah. I got stumped on. But so I thought maybe the airbenders are moving molecules out of the way to create empty space that then the wind will flow into. Mm. Or maybe they can just direct the molecules in the air to move to certain directions overall. And that's yeah. how they can create the air moving. Yeah. That was the best thing I could come up with that. Then firebending, I thought, you know, when on our episode on like, what fire even is and also with like candles and stuff is you kind of have to have this initial reaction to get it started right. you put energy in, but then it kind of keeps going. Yeah. And so I think they have the ability to start that reaction. They must be able to somehow be able to put energy in like the same way you put energy in when you're lighting a match. Yeah. And that starts a reaction and that then that reaction makes the fire happen and then the fire will just continue itself. Yeah. Okay. So I, I found chemical reasons for all of those, but I couldn't figure out. Oh, also I should say air bending, water bending and fire bending are not real. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a cartoon for children that somehow really well translates into adult life. And also is a fun theoretical game to play of what's the chemistry behind this fake phenomenon. <laughs> So that just, I really want to say that <laughs> I don't want anyone to think that I think that you can actually use yeah, chemistry to do those things. Good point. Somebody, some of these people out there. Yeah. I really genuinely could not come up with a good thing for earth bending though, because like Toph can feel things through the earth. And that makes sense to me. It's like, she's just super sensitive to mm. energy moving. Right. But then, then she uses energy to be able to move the earth too. Right. I think if it was like just like, cause obviously metal bending is like a subsect of earth bending. Yeah. If it was just metal bending though. You can make a lot of like, Oh, magnetic mm. polarity arguments if you wanted to, but she's magnetic if, for sure. Yeah. But it's like the, like if they had the ability to suddenly make like a, a negative pole and you know, whatever, but like for the rest of the earth, other dirt and stuff that like, well, I don't know either. Like it's so broad. Yeah. I think it's just like, oh, you have power over energy, which I guess that's kind of all of them in a way, but it's like you have the ability to direct, to create and direct energy into the ground specifically and use that to move the earth. This is still like so far out that it's like fiction, but what if you could say that, Earth, you specifically talking about with Katara, with mm -hmm. water bending, the hydrogen bonds. What if, like, deep down 
pretend we're in the in their universe. We start looking into it, and it really is that it is at the elemental level of like an element on the shared table, and that's the common theme. So, what if Toph is like hers is quartz? Yeah, or, or I guess it'd be silicon. Right. Yeah, something like one of the most common things in yeah, Earth. and then Katara's is hydrogen, and well, it'd have to be hydrogen and oxygen. So she, they have to be both present, and then she can do it. Yeah, they have to be bonded together. Yeah. Yeah, like maybe they're just in tune. But then with fire, there's not like an element on the periodic table that fire is. There's it's not. carbon, hydrogen, oxygen. Man, they should have had a fire one on there. <laughs> okay. I think the the best thing I could think is, yeah, I think what's hard about the earth is. But oxygen would definitely have to be present because it has to ignite. Oxygen's in all of them. Right. Maybe that's something. Hmm. Anyway, I thought this was a good, this was good, a good question, and it was fun, and it definitely got me thinking about molecules in chemistry Yeah, in a fun new way, so thanks for that, Chelsea. Dang. I literally laughed out, out loud when I read that <laughs> question, <laughs> and I was like, ooh, and thought about it all while I was eating my lunch. I love it, too. It's a great one. This next one is from Julian E. on Instagram. Why does water form on the outside of a cold glass on a warm day? Okay, so for this one, this is like all about the different phases of matter. So, you know, if you have um, molecules of water, they can be in the solid form, ice, in the liquid form, water, or in the gaseous, gaseous form in the air. That's water vapor. And there is water in the air, air all the time. So like if you've heard the humidity point or whatever, there's water in the air. And it's just warm enough. There's enough energy in it that it can move around and function like a gas molecule. You know, it's, it's in the gaseous phase. But if it loses enough of that energy, it'll start to take up less and less and less and less space until it starts to get close to other water molecules. And as it continues to cool down, it will eventually not have enough energy to be in the gaseous state anymore and it'll become a liquid. And that's condensation. Mm. So water forms on the outside of your glass because literally water that's already in the air around you is losing energy as it comes into contact with that colder space or there's less energy in that colder space. Mm. So that's why. That's a good question. That is a good question. I I remember one time one of our friends, IRL, Mm -hmm. was like, how does the water inside the glass end up getting through and becoming coming on the outside of the glass. And I was like, it's our friend Sam. And oh. thinking that that's what was happening, you know? And then I was like, I give him a look like this, and he goes, unless it's actually moisture in the air. And he's like, we're sort of realizing it. Yeah. And it like blew his mind. I was like, I just got to watch it happen. Where he just realized like his theory with combined with the knowledge from the podcast yeah. they've been learning didn't make sense, but something else made a lot more sense. <laughs> And I did, he was just like, whoa. That is so exciting. You know, he said like that cool like chemistry mind I blown. wish I had been there for that. Yeah, I, I just remembered about that. It's been a while, but I've forgotten about that completely. And it doesn't just happen on cold glasses. You know, like I keep, um, I have chocolate chips that I keep in the freezer. But my favorite snack right now is a little tiny bowl ramekin of cold chocolate chips. 
But I have them in stasher bags. And so I just pulled the whole stasher bag out and never put it in ramekin because they were all dirty. And then when I put it up where the bag had been sitting on my leg was just a damp spot because it did condensation on the outside of the silicone bag. And then that got on my leg. Got it. So it's not just cold glasses. Yeah. Condensation. Yeah. Not just for cold glasses anymore. Or hot days. Or hot days. Yeah. <laughs> This next one's from it was a hot day though. <laughs> yeah, day. that's a good point. In Texas, you can 50 50 chance it's a hot day. <sighs> Kevin R on Instagram asked this How do water filters work? What can they not filter out? Sometimes they don't taste good. Okay, Kevin. So I'm not going to answer this because next week's episode, we talk about water filters, specifically one kind. But I think different water filters are able to filter out different things depending on what they're made of. So it kind of depends on what kind of filter you have. Um, I don't always think that they, uh, the one we have is a carbon, uh, like activated carbon granules of that. And I think it tastes fine. Mm. I don't taste it. Yeah. Although maybe I'm just used to it because I have some friends from Germany who came for a conference and they were like, the chlorine in the water here is so strong. I can't drink it. I can smell the, I can smell the chlorine while I'm taking a shower. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't even notice the chlorine unless I have a water bottle that's been closed with like half the water filled in there. Uh-huh. Because then chlorine is a gas in its natural state. Right. So then it, it's off guessing. And sometimes when I open it, I can smell the chlorine after it's been like sitting for days. It's uh-huh. embarrassing that that happens. But <laughs> um, especially if it's like, yeah, just been like, <laughs> what time I thought I lost a water bottle? <laughs> This is a dumb story, but it's this is a Q&R, so this is what you're going to get. Uh-huh. One time I thought I lost a water bottle, and then we we're going camping. So we bought a new water bottle because I have a rule that I don't buy new cups unless I lose one or bottles because you don't need that many. And for them to really be good to the environment, you can't just be buying them all the time. Right, right. And so we bought a new one, and then we came home, and then I went kickboxing after like a while. I mean, I hadn't been for a while. We hadn't seen that water bottle probably in a month. I'd been out of town. I'd been sick. Then we went camping. Then I came home, went kickboxing, and I found the water bottle uh-huh. in the kickboxing bag uh, that had been lost. I was very embarrassed. Yeah. I was like, how long? We both were like, this is over. We've lost it. It's uh-huh. gone. We don't know where it went. No, I just hadn't been to my kickboxing class in that long. <laughs> and I paid for it that whole time. Yeah. But when I opened that water bottle, it smelled so strongly of chlorine because it just like off gases. Did, did you tell me, I can't remember, and this is like one of those, we should probably just go figure it out or whatever. I thought that it wasn't actually chlorine that's in the water. No, I think there's chlorine in the water. I think that's pool smell doesn't actually smell like chlorine. Okay. Maybe I think something else then. Maybe. I could be wrong. I but thought, that's what I thought that that smell was. I thought that you had told me that that maybe there is, but that's probably not what is in our water that we might be able to smell or taste. Mm. But also, isn't there fluorine in our there water? There is fluorine. And those probably do smell similarly because yeah. there are similar properties on the periodic table. That could be true. All I know is I went to this conference and this guy from Germany was like, I can smell chlorine yeah. so strongly in your water. They're probably like, we have this like amazing, like, you know, mountain spring, spring water, water <laughs> you know, from all of the snow melting that's, also pure and great yeah yeah it makes us live forever and stuff like that and we're like yeah sorry but you gotta 
bunch of brown rivers over here, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, yeah, a bunch of rivers with PFAS in them as we're finding out. Yes. Well, I could be wrong, and I just want to say that I could be wrong for sure, and I wouldn't be surprised if I am. One that I did have is we have PVC pipes, which I do think are made with chlorine. I wonder. Uh, anyway. Okay. Interesting. But I could be wrong. And a big thing about our podcast is that I am open to being wrong, even though I'm an expert. And if I find out I'm wrong, then I'll be happy to change. And I'm often wrong because I don't know what I'm talking about anyway. So <laughs> I'm even more apologetic. Um, this next one's from Michael R. Hopefully it's Michael Richards, uh, the Seinfeld actor. Tell us where <laughs> chemistry and physics meet, please. This is such an interesting question. I, well, I made a joke to my friend that was with me um, when I first saw that. And I said, probably in the trash can because I hate physics. <laughs> <laughs> but just kidding. We don't hate on science here. It's just not my cup of tea. But there is a real answer and that I could think of. And that is... So there's a physical chemistry class that I had to take and there's two main parts in the physical chemistry class. And one is literally looking at how lights and particles move mm. and how everything moves is physics, right? So even us moving right now and we're made up of a bunch of electrons and atoms, you right. know, there's physics in that. And, you know, also chemistry looks a lot of times at energy, like light, and light can act as a wave or a particle. So there's, like, physics all in that, and it's crazy. And then there's also the physics of, um, like, energy transfer, thermodynamics. So I, in my physical chemistry class, the second half is thermodynamics. But actually, my husband took a very similar class with just without the chemistry foundation for his mechanical engineering to understand the transfer of heat. And so I think that's also a physics meets chemistry. It's like energy and how things move because energy is being put into them is all about chemistry, you right, know? Right. So like things heating up and cooling down, that's all chemistry. But I do think that thermodynamic level can also be considered like a physical science, like the physical, not a physical science, I guess, but a physics approach as well. I think it's all great because everything is, Everything is made up of atoms. Right. And yeah. And our like compartmentalizing of science is sort of to help us specialize, but it's yeah. obviously like all happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody else responded to me posting this question on Instagram and said, well, my answer is always like everything in life is biology and everything in biology is chemistry and because it's all made up of atoms and, you know, like went on this yeah. thing, but I was like, but really... I think hers ended with math, but I'm like, it kind of is like, should somehow like circle back. Like everything yeah. in biology is chemistry. Everything in chemistry is physics. Everything in physics applies to life and life is biology, you know? So it's like all circular, nice. you yeah. know? Yeah. 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 That's a good point. That was a good question. But I guess there's things that aren't biology that are chemistry and physics. Yeah. So that's kind of tough. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good question. Okay. I see the word coffee. This is exciting. This question is from Sandra B. How is freeze-dried coffee made? This, this question is kind of a juke because mm. I think that this is worth a whole episode on how freeze-dried things are made at all. Because ah. have you seen freeze-dried things? Yes, we, we've had like, you know, freeze-dried fruit and stuff like that for... Yeah. Yeah. And freeze-dried like candy. Have you seen how it gets bigger and weird? 
No, fruit gets smaller, but it's kind of like we expect, I guess. But yeah, yeah. So freeze dried candy, it's like it. You should go to our local coffee shop and see the freeze dried Skittles like break and have like a little looks like a little Skittle sandwich. Huh. And like peach rings, people will do like um you know videos where they're like eating a bunch of different like they're trying all these different things and then uh-huh. and like freeze dried candy like expands and gets weird. So I think. Huh. We are going to have to do a whole episode on it. I started to do a quick Google search and then I was like, nope, this is going to be real. Yeah. So here's a, here's a picture for jam. And for those of you who are listening can Google like freeze dried Skittles. See how they like bust open. That's crazy. And then like freeze dried, I think like peach rings, they get like just like large. You, like you here's said- Jolly Ranchers who freeze dry and uh-huh. they're like puffy. You can get them at our local coffee shop. Interesting. I did not know that. Maybe we should do a Patreon exclusive where we eat freeze-dried candy taste test. That's a great idea. Freeze-dried candy taste test. I would love that. For science. Yeah, it is for science. For sure. Very interesting. So that's, um, that that I've decided is going to be a whole episode. Okay, cool. All right, great. This next one from Bailey, I just wanted to share this fun fact. Okay. Bailey messaged and said, if you ever do a Botox episode two, you should talk about how it affects your mirror neurons and therefore lowers your capacity for empathy. And I was like, what? So I did quickly look that up and there does seem to be one study. I did not have time to look into the, like, you know, if it's how well the study's done or anything, but there does seem to be one study where people's ability to feel certain emotions were lowered when they had had Botox because their muscles were paralyzed. Whoa. I know. That is crazy. But I do have a friend who gets Botox and she's very empathetic. So hmm. maybe it's just for a little while, temporarily. Yeah. Or maybe she already had a lot more than the other person. So she had some she could lose. But, yeah. Yeah. Like you if know? you're, you know, that people will say like, oh, I'm an empath. Maybe empaths need to get Botox so that it doesn't affect their daily <laughs> life as much. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> maybe so. Uh. Um, the next question is from... Uh, I'm sorry if I pronounced this incorrectly. Nenami, um, Nenami T from Thailand. I'm currently a high school student, so I have a question. How does numbing cream actually work chemically? I'm a bit curious about how numbing cream reduces sensitivity to pain. Okay, so different numbing creams work differently, but we did do an episode on capsaicin, mm. and we talked about how it will trigger your heat, uh, like the receptors that your nerve receptors that you know send pain also feel heat and so it triggers your heat response which inhibits your pain receptors but it was a long time ago that we did that so you should circle back and listen to the capsaicin episode yeah but essentially i think numbing cream in general works by activating those nerves in a way that they can't be activated by pain anymore mm. or i think they like if something's truly completely numb, like if you go, I don't know, the doctor and get something numb because you're going to have surgery, I think it might be like, be like paralyzing. That one, I don't know. Hmm. How it totally inactivates your nerves, I don't know. Right. Instead of just kind of reducing them. Yeah. yeah the ones that I was talking about are like, you know, like icy hot or like menthol creams. Those, yeah. That's how those work. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. 
Okay, so I think we're going to wrap this up with, I've been really enjoying reading reviews or emails that people send in that um, just to thank you all as listeners for everything that you do to keep our show going. And so this was a nice one from Rachel R. She left it on Apple Review and um, also sent us a message on Patreon. Mm -hmm. So thanks for joining our Patreon team. Rachel, we'll give you a shout out in an upcoming episode soon. But here's what Rachel said. I think I found your podcast while I was on a search for phenomenon sources as a teacher. So Rachel told me that she's a 54 year old second year teacher. And of course your show is a good source, but also it's just so awesome. And I love it so much. No shade on jam. I love your role and how you fulfill it too. None taken. <laughs> but Melissa, your explanations, your analogies at first I would scroll through the episodes and say to myself, I know about that and not listen but then I realized that no matter what the topic is, I'll get really cool insights, whether different perspective, facts I didn't know, ideas about how to get students thinking. Bottom line, thank you so much for making this podcast. It totally rocks. <laughs> I thought that was really sweet. That's awesome. I do think also Rachel accidentally called me Kate at first. And I just have to say that I feel like I kind of look like a Kate. <laughs> it's kind of nice. We're talking about that because it was like, yeah, there's always that feeling you have of like someone looks like a, a name or yeah. they very specifically do not look like a name. Yeah. That's all like based on our, the people we've interacted with and what their names have been. So yeah. it's kind of funny. Somebody accidentally called Mason Gabe and then they kept up that bit for the rest of the night. <laughs> And then everybody who came over would comment on it. And they're like, yeah, I could see you being a Gabe. And actually I was like, yeah, I can kind of see it yeah, too. I can see it. I can see it. Yeah. That's great. Here's another uh, comment that we got that was really encouraging from Ryan B. on, on YouTube. Thank you for this podcast. This episode is the very first one that I've used with my new edition of podcast investigations in my high school chemistry curriculum this year. Listen to the Trick Candles podcast and lit both regular and Trick birthday candles and had some really great, curious, excited conversations about the concepts and some related topics. Great resource. Thanks for all you do in producing it. I'm looking forward to using about eight more episodes throughout this year. Thanks. That was so cool. Yeah, that one's awesome. We do have um, somewhere, if you email, I'll send it to you, a list on Google Drive where I started to organize the episodes by topic, but I haven't gotten around to it. And then someone messaged me and offered to help. And I don't know who that person was and oh, I lost it. Yeah. I know it's that ADHD brain. So sorry about that. But that, um, that and the fact that we literally get messages from so many apps. Like, so many Not apps. all the things even have a searchability thing. So yeah. it's like there's not even... Yeah. Don't blame yourself. You can get comments. You can get messages. You can get emails. You can get website submissions, which I forgot yeah. to say. Nanami and Bailey's are both message, uh, website submissions. Nice. Nice. And yeah, we just get them everywhere. So it can yep. be hard to keep track of everything. But if that was you, let me know. And I'd be happy to, to let you do that. Um, but if you're a teacher and you want to use a podcast in your classroom, please reach out to us because I did start that. And that's a good place for you to at least be able to start using it in your course. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks to all of our listeners. We really, really appreciate having you write to us. So these episodes, Jam was saying as we started, these episodes are just so fun and relaxing because it feels like we're having a conversation and we just like get to be a little bit more of ourselves, a little bit less on task, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. It's a lot of fun. You guys write such great questions, some really good, interesting chemistry ones, some fun, only slightly related chemistry ones, and sometimes some that are very far outside of it, which are also so fun. So thank y'all so much. We love y'all's questions. Please don't hesitate to send those to us. 
If you have ideas for a full episode or a question you want on a QR, and r you can reach out to us on our website at kimforyourlife.com. That's Kim, F-O-R, yourlife.com to share your thoughts and ideas. If you'd like to help us keep our show going and contribute to cover the cost of making it and get priority question asking, you can join our super cool community of patrons at patreon.com slash kimforyourlife. That's patreon.com slash kimforyourlife or tap the link in our show notes or in the description of the video to join that super cool community. If you're not able to do that, you can still help us by subscribing on your favorite podcast app and rating and writing a review on Apple Podcasts or subscribing on YouTube. That also helps us to share chemistry with even more people. And you might, if you leave a nice comment or a nice review, we might end up reading it on a Q&R just like mm-hmm. we did today. This episode of Chemistry for Your Life was created by Melissa Collini and Jam Robinson, and Jam Robinson is our producer. This episode was made possible by our financial supporters on Patreon and also the listeners who wrote in questions. It means so much to us that, you're, that you want to help make chemistry accessible to even more people. Those supporters are... Rachel R, Latila S, Bree M, Avishai B, Brian K, Chris and Clara S, Chelsea B, Derek L, Emerson W, Hunter R, Jacob T, Christina G, Katrina H, Lynn S, Melissa P, Nicole C, Nellie S, Stephen B, Shadow, Suzanne P, Timothy P, and Venus R. Thank you again for everything you do to make chemistry for your life happen. And an extra special thanks to Brie, who often creates illustrations to go along with episodes of Chemistry for Your Life that you can see on our YouTube channel. Please thank Brie by following and supporting her at entropic.artstation.com and at McAllister Brie on Twitter. Yay, chemistry. Yay, chemistry. Yay, chemistry.